2: from kqed good morning this is the california report i'm alex hall in fresno the contents of a leaked supreme court draft opinion that would strike down roe v wade are still sinking in both across the country and here in california in a press release out monday a spokesperson for the supreme court confirmed the authenticity of the document but said it does not represent a decision by the court Meanwhile, protests and rallies have taken place nationwide. Here in California, Governor Gavin Newsom and other legislative leaders have proposed an amendment to the state's constitution that would add even more protections around abortion rights in the state. For more context on this historic news leak and the potential implications of the contents of the draft opinion, I'm joined by UC Hastings Law Professor Radhika Rao. Professor Rao clerked for late Supreme Court Justices Harry Blackmun and Thurgood Marshall. Professor Rao, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. So start by putting this document leak into context for us. To your knowledge, has anything like this happened before?
0: No, this is unprecedented. During my time there, nothing like this has ever happened. And I've never heard of anything like this happening. For an entire draft opinion to have been released publicly before the opinion was officially issued, that is just shocking.
2: And I understand that you read the draft yourself. Was there anything in it that stood out to you or surprised you? Yes, I did
0: read the draft. And I was actually quite surprised and in fact appalled by the mocking tone of the draft. Justice Alito's opinion for the majority or his opinion for what purports to be the majority, he's really ridiculing Roe and the reasoning behind it. And that's not typical of a majority opinion. Typically when you read a majority opinion, it's written in a much more neutral and balanced tone. And sometimes when justices' write dissents or concurrences, they then speak for themselves and they use more forceful language. But in this majority opinion authored by Justice Alito, he's really skewering the constitutional basis for the right and making fun of the fact that the Supreme Court could ever have found such a right.
2: And- What do you make of that? I mean, if that's such a dramatic shift from what you've seen in the past, why do you think that he would take that tone?
0: Well, I think that he has long been opposed to Roe and to the basis for this right to abortion in the Constitution. And he really doesn't think that it's part of the unenumerated rights. But the problem with Justice Alito's logic is that if the right to terminate a pregnancy doesn't exist because it's not explicitly protected in the Constitution, there are a lot of other rights that aren't explicitly protected in the Constitution either. For example, the constitutional right to privacy, privacy is nowhere mentioned, the word privacy in the Constitution, yet the Supreme Court held in a case called Griswold against Connecticut that married couples have a constitutional right to use contraceptives if abortion is not a constitutional right because it's nowhere mentioned, then privacy is nowhere mentioned either. So that undermines the right for people to use contraceptives. And what about the right to marriage? That's nowhere mentioned in the constitution either.
2: Wow, that's fascinating. Given your experience, what is the likelihood that the final opinion in this case could wind up being dramatically different than the leaked first draft? It is
0: possible I know of at least one case, and in fact, that was a case involving abortion. In 1992, just when I was coming to clerk at the Supreme Court, the court heard a case called Planned Parenthood against Casey, in which it was being asked to overturn Roe versus Wade. That was 30 years ago. And in fact, there were five justices initially who voted to overturn Roe, but at the last minute... One justice changed his mind and switched his vote. And so Roe was not overturned back in 1992. So it is possible that that could still happen today. However, I'm rather more pessimistic at this time. Having listened to the oral argument, it seems quite clear that there are a number of justices that they have enough votes to overturn Roe.
2: Are there any other legal aspects of this that you haven't heard people discuss that you think are worth raising?
0: Well, I haven't heard people really talk about all of the different implications of the Alito opinion in terms of not only its mocking nature, but also some of the arguments that he invokes really equating Roe versus Wade with Plessy versus Ferguson and suggesting that it's as invidious a decision and that overruling Roe would be like Brown versus Board of Education, would be a similar judicial triumph.
2: Radhika Rao is professor at UC Hastings College of Law in San Francisco. Professor Rao, thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights at this historic moment. Thank you the leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion to overturn Roe versus Wade has given new urgency to California's efforts to enshrine access to reproductive care in state law. Bay Area State Senator Nancy Skinner, one of the leaders of the California Legislative Women's Caucus, says lawmakers are advancing 15 bills.
3: Not only to ensure that women in California, childbearing people in California, have every access and ability to utilize services, get an abortion, get their reproductive needs met, but we will also welcome those from other states.
2: State lawmakers are also introducing a constitutional amendment to guarantee abortion access. This is expected to go before voters in November. Stand up, fight back! Meanwhile, rallies were held across the country and here in California on Tuesday in support of abortion rights. In front of the federal courthouse near the state capitol, Jackie Smith spoke with CBS 13 in Sacramento.
3: This is ridiculous. I think we've gone 10 steps forward and now we're going 50 steps back. This is the catalyst for other things to happen if
2: we don't stand up and fight back right now. The same message was heard at rallies held in Oakland, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Three men have been charged with murder for their alleged roles in a deadly shooting in downtown Sacramento last month that left six people dead. Matula Payton, Smiley Martin, and his brother Dondre Martin are all facing three counts of homicide. Here's Sacramento County District Attorney Anne Marie Schubert speaking at a news conference yesterday.
1: All three of these defendants as it relates to the shooting downtown have allegations of special circumstances for multiple murders which means that they are eligible for capital punishment. And just to answer any questions, that decision has not been made, nor will it be made as to what type of penalty we seek,
2: and that will be made down the road. The Martin brothers are already in custody. Police are still looking for Payton. Officers say the shooting was between two rival gangs and broke out on K Street in downtown Sacramento early on the morning of April 3rd. LA County's Office of Diversion and Reentry houses thousands of people with mental health challenges who would otherwise end up incarcerated. But its biggest initiative maxed out its budget last year and can't add any new clients. KPCC's Emily Elena Dugdale has more. I'm sitting in Judge Carla Curlin's courtroom in
1: downtown L.A. Today she's hearing cases involving clients enrolled in a program through the Office of Diversion and Reentry, or ODR. It targets people charged or convicted with a felony who struggle with a severe mental or physical health diagnosis and need housing. But they don't just get housing. They also have access to a team of medical professionals, a therapist, and a caseworker for life. This is number 14 on calendar. The judge addresses a man sitting silently in front of her. He's handcuffed and wearing a blue jail uniform. I originally put you in ODR. If you want a fresh start, this is it. The man's time in the program hasn't been smooth sailing. He picked up another felony. It was brought down to a misdemeanor but judge curlin is giving him another shot stay in compliance and you could stay in the program ODR's medical director, Kristen Ochoa, is watching the proceedings. One thing that is really important to us is to continue to give people many chances. Ochoa said this man will be released soon. He'll get picked up by her staffers, who will take him home and connect him with the care he needs. We need to make sure they've got all their appointments and all their medications. ODR started this program in 2016. Since then, it's diverted over 3,700 people from jail. When I talked to Ochoa over Zoom before court, she said nearly a thousand people have keys to permanent supportive housing. When you see the transformation of folks, once they have care and attention and medicine, It is absolutely remarkable. It is something so compelling that I think it can transform um, hearts and minds that this has to be the right answer. Ochoa said another sign of the program's success is that it reunites families. A lot of times it's hard for families to stay connected when someone is so sick, to see people reconnect with their friends and families and just live meaningful lives again. It's why we do this work. The program has been very successful. One study found that nearly 90 percent of participants had no new felony convictions after a year and almost three-fourths had stable housing. Ochoa said the program costs $150 a day per person versus $800 a day in the mental health section of the jail. So that's why public defender Garrett Miller was dismayed last year when the program had to stop taking new clients.
3: It's so effective, and that is why it is currently closed.
1: The county funded 2,200 beds, and those are all full. And there's no money to expand the program in the county's proposed budget for the next fiscal year. Meanwhile, Miller, who's on the board of the Public Defenders Union, says demand for the program is overflowing.
3: It is so well known that many clients will come in and they have heard
0: success stories and they want that.
1: The alternatives aren't good. For most people, it's prison. Jasmine Jones got lucky. Through the program, she has her own apartment in Long Beach in a new four-story building with a great view. I feel comfortable, I feel welcomed, and I feel loved. Jones was previously chronically homeless and her schizoaffective bipolar disorder was undiagnosed before she got caught up in the system. I got labeled as something that people knew nothing about. They treated me like I was nothing on the streets. But now if um, I ever need any help. I know who to come to. I just come right down the stairs. I don't have to jump in a car. Right down the stairs are therapists and social workers who help Jones take her meds and track how she's doing. I took a couple steps up the ladder. I didn't look back. I blossomed into a flower, and I like it. She said she's growing alongside her neighbors here. People, she says, are now family. For the California Report,
2: I'm Emily Elena Duckdale. San Diego County has launched a first-in-the-nation program to provide free legal aid to detained immigrants. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has more. A year and a day after San Diego County Supervisor Tara Lawson Reamer introduced the Immigrants' Rights Legal Defense Program, she stood in front of the county building to announce the initiative was officially up and running. We are declaring with one voice that our justice system must be based on facts and law not access to wealth and resources. The program will be run out of the county's public defender's office and be funded by the county to the tune of $5 million. Lawson Reamer says she hopes this program can provide the help extended to her family during a dark time. My great-grandfather Max escaped persecution in Ukraine 100 years later, our country is still a beacon of hope. Only detained people will qualify with the ultimate goal to grow the program to help anyone who needs legal immigration aid. For The California Report, I'm Kitty Alvarado in San Diego.
0: Support for The California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. The California Health Care Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just health care system. On the web at chcf.org slash health equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
2: And that's the California Report for Wednesday, May 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening.
3: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.